how he's working in the church, uh, and how he uh, is moving. And it's an encouragement, isn't it, to hear uh, what God is doing in, in people's lives. It's an encouragement to hear how he is calling people to him, how he's changing lives, how he's building his church. Because uh, so often there is a need for encouragement. We need that encouragement. So often what we hear is discouraging. We listen to our national politics and so much of it seems to be scandal, uh, alleged abuse of office or abuse of influence. Or our local council funding uh, a pagan festival. Then we look closer to home. We've been thinking as a church about uh, the number of non-Christians in Edinburgh. The number who don't know Jesus as their saviour. But more than that, who don't and have never heard the gospel. How do we make a start with 400,000 people to tell? It's discouraging. And then our gaze moves from those who know nothing to those who know something and hate it. Uh, we hear uh, of those who say, well, a message of peace and love is all right, but you can't go around saying that Jesus is the only answer. Uh, it's intolerant. It's offensive. Tone it down. It's discouraging. And if that was not enough, we look to ourselves. We look to our own sin. I have the desire to do good, but I cannot carry it out, says Paul, writing to the Romans. It's discouraging. But, says the writer to the Hebrews, don't focus on sinful men. Don't focus on your own sin. Focus on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Open your Bibles and we'll turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, and we'll read verses 1 to 3. If you're using the Pew Bibles, it's page 1210. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's 2,000 years ago, and we're in an amphitheater. It's packed with spectators. Verse 1, a great cloud of witnesses, a vast crowd. And who are these witnesses? Well, the writer has spent the whole of chapter 11 telling us these are the great men and women of faith. Turn back to chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Then he spends the rest of the chapter telling us about those ancients, about their great faith. And they're now packing the stadium around us. They're packing the stands. They have finished the race. They can testify that the race is worth running. And they're looking down on us. We're down in the track. We're running the race. But it's not a sprint, of course. It's a marathon. And we're doing it weighed down with encumbrances. And not only that, 
uh, it's an obstacle course. The writer tells us that we have to cast off whatever's slowing us down, whatever surplus baggage we have, and we have to avoid the sin that would trip us up. So how do we do this? What encourages us to complete the course, this Christian life? What would keep the Hebrews from wearying? Well, first, we see the race marked out for us. We're not here by accident. Look at verse 1. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We didn't stumble into this arena. God has called us to take part. He has called us and he has a plan for us. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We should be encouraged then as we run the race in the knowledge that this is the course that God marked out for us. Whatever the struggles, whatever the pain, whatever the triumphs for that matter, our loving Father has all of this under his sovereign will. So we're encouraged that God has the race marked out for us and secondly, we're encouraged by the course completed. This vast cloud of witnesses has been commended for their faith. They've finished the race and they are testament to the fact that the race is worth the running. They will spend eternity in heaven. They urge us on, they inspire us. But they are still, of course, just spectators. They were just competitors. The writer doesn't say, fix your eyes on the spectators. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The words translated as fixed doesn't mean just to look hard at Jesus. It means to look away from other things. Look away from rival attractions. Look away from the sin that's enticing us. Look away from the cares that are weighing us down and fix our eyes on Jesus. Look to him. He is the author of our faith. He originates it. He shapes it. We started running this race because Jesus first loved us. He called us. He calls us still. He calls us to respond to his supreme act of love, to turn away from our rebellion against him and to fix our eyes on him. Our turning to Jesus is our first act of faith, but he is already the author of it. He started writing the story of our new lives when he died for us. But he's not just the author of our faith, he's the perfecter of our faith. He brings it to completion. However hard we may try to please God by being faithful to him, we will never achieve perfection. We may try to live a moral life, but that's not going to make our faith perfect. We may try to do good works, and we may do them in Jesus' name, but that is not going to make our faith perfect. Only Jesus was perfect. Only he was sinless. And when he died and took the punishment for us, he left us as spotless, as sinless in the sight of God. He started our faith, and he made it perfect. So we see the race that God has marked out for us, and we see the course that Christ has completed. And finally, we see his endurance. Look again at verses 2 and 3. 
let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Not only did Jesus humble himself to become a man, not only did he live the perfect life, but he did so while enduring the scorn, derision, humiliation, punishment, whipping, and finally, the agony of death nailed to a cross. The NIV translates it as, uh, for the joy set before him. But it can also be translated as, instead of the joy set before him. He knew the bliss of being in heaven. He gave that up. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, to be held on to. He gave it up and endured suffering at our hands. Whatever our daily experience, whatever we have to face, what is it that could be worse than what Jesus endured for us? First, the physical punishment. And unimaginable as it is, it was not the worst. There was the separation from God. We cannot yet know what it is to know God in all his fullness and to radiate in his presence. But Jesus did, and he gave it up for us. He was separated from that love as he died to take our punishment. What is it that we endure in comparison? Are we ashamed of speaking up for the gospel in case we face scorn? Fix your eyes on the scorn that Jesus faced. In many places around the world, our brothers and sisters in the gospel face hardship, persecution, and death for the sake of the gospel, experiences that most of us can't begin to comprehend. How do they endure unless their eyes are fixed on Jesus? And Jesus did not just die for our sakes, of course, the writer tells us. He was raised to life and is seated at the right hand of God. So many saints have run the race. So many have completed the course and enjoy eternity with Jesus. Endure for that joy, the writer tells us. Endure for the joy of Jesus. Look what the writer says a few verses later. Turn to verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is the prize awaiting us. This is the joy set before Jesus that he is now holding out to us. Endure for that joy, says the writer. And consider him, verse 3. Don't just look to Jesus, but consider him. Perhaps you're here tonight and you've never done that before. Well, start now. Consider what Jesus did. Meditate on the manner in which he endured his sufferings and weigh up why he did it. Examine the evidence of his resurrection. 
and his resurrection power and respond to his call to start running this race to claim the victory that he has already won. But of course, these verses are written to Christians. We are the ones who are being called to consider Christ so that we will not grow weary. We started by thinking about discouragements. And we all have times when we are weary in our walk. For some, that time will be now. Some of us are holding on to sin which is entangling us. Turn from it, says the writer, and focus on Jesus. Some of us are weighed down. Some of us are weighed down by cares for our families, uh, weighed down by our work or by our lack of work, weighed down by our responsibilities or our lack of responsibilities. Throw it off, says the writer. Focus on Jesus. Jesus endured for the joy set before him. And the writer encourages us, endure for the joy of Jesus. Will that remove the very real struggles that we face? No, but it will first put them in perspective. And moreover, as we've seen in our studies in Philippians, God promises us his peace. As we saw so recently in our studies of uh, Philippians, Paul exhorts them first to rejoice, second to bring everything before God in prayer, and then that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's endure for his joy. Let's pray together.